Good morning. This is the Word of God. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of a man. A likeness of a man. His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of Christ because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all these things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That is written. For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the whole church said, Amen. Amen. What a powerful, powerful passage. I want to take you back to an ancient time in a time far, far away when things were quite different. Actually, in this time, people carried their pictures around in what is known as their wallet. Anybody remember that? And if you want to show pictures of your family, you just took your wallet out and you unfolded this long series of pictures. Anybody still carry their pictures in their wallet? Okay, you probably call it a billfold. But I mean, it's, it, that happened a long time ago. Nowadays, if we want to show pictures, what do we do? We have it on our phones. And, and so we can readily just show all kinds of pictures of the people we love and families. Even many of us show pictures on what is known as, as Facebook, you know. And so you can go to someone's Facebook page and you can see all kinds of pictures of them and uh, one thing that really does bother me, maybe, maybe some of you do this, I don't know, but there are many people who actually turn their, their, their phone around, their camera, and take pictures. What do you call those? Selfies. Is that not a weird, weird deal, okay? Actually take pictures of themselves and post them like we would like to see them. <laughs> Let me show you a picture that you do need to see, all right? Look at there. On the right is Taze, the giant. And on the left, the left is George. That are my two grandsons. And uh, Taze is about eight weeks older than George, who was born on this money. That's the kind of picture that you might want to see. But today, here's the picture I want us to talk about. And this is a very important picture. And this is a picture that years ago you didn't take around in your wallet. Maybe you do it on this kind of selfie thing. But it's the picture you have of you. And I'm not talking about some kind of selfie picture that you post for everyone to see. The picture I'm talking about this morning is the picture that you have in you that's buried in your mind. It's the mental picture. We call it your self-image. Your picture of yourself. And it's a picture that nobody else sees. And yet it's extremely important. The Bible says how you feel about yourself influences almost everything about your life. 
In fact, in one of the most plain sentences in the scripture, Jesus says you are to love your neighbors as you love your what? Self. So, so Jesus says it's okay to love yourself. And in fact, if you don't love yourself, more than likely, you're not going to love anybody else well. And so this morning, we want to talk a little bit about this self-image. But here, here's what determines so much about our self-image. It, it's, it's the self-talk that we have, all right? It's that mental chatter that goes on in our brains all day long. How many of you talk to yourself? Raise your hand. All right. Now, here's the people we worry about. How many of you talk out loud to yourself? In a, oh, my goodness. We got work to do today. All right. Uh, we, we talk to ourselves. Now, psychologists say about 75% of mental chatter, of your mental talk to yourself, is negative. The problem with self-talk is a large majority of it is exaggerated, inaccurate, and negative. It, it, it's usually about your past failures or about your future worries. But this kind of self-talk impacts who you are. It's what you tell yourself. It is still true, Proverbs 18, 21, that life and death are held in the power of the tongue. And and the kind of speech that you give yourself holds the power of life and death. This is where this mental battle we've been talking about for weeks goes on. And I ask you this morning, is your internal vocabulary, is it a vocabulary of encouragement or is it a vocabulary of discouragement? The way you talk to yourself, and you do, we all talk to ourselves. I said to myself, we, we have that conversation. How does it go? Again, the problem is nobody sees but us. How is it? Because if we can change our self-talk, we can change a lot about this, this mind game. I love the story of David Wells. David Wells was a pitcher for the New York Yankees. It was about a decade ago when Joe Torrey was actually the manager. And and Wells is going to pitch one weekend. The odd thing about it is it was the weekend that his mother had died the week before. And yet he's still in the lineup. He's got to pitch. And he goes out in a hostile environment in an away game. And the crowd around him is shouting all kinds of things about him. They're starting to talk about his mother, who he's just buried. And he... um, He just can't handle it. And his pitches begin to be wild. And before long, the Yankees are down. For some reason, Joe Torrey did not pull him. David Wells will explain that in the middle of that, he took himself away from the team, sat himself down, and had a talk with himself. You've ever done that? And began to talk to himself about what was going on. And convinced himself that what he needed to do was bring everything out of his mind. Even use his motivation, what the people were saying, because he loved his mother. And go out there and just throw one pitch at a time. Just be effective one pitch at a time. And he did that, and the Yankees end up winning the game. And afterwards, reporters were interviewing him and asking how he handled everything that was said. And here's what he said. To the people with the rude comments about my mother, thank you. Because in some strange way, you are responsible for this win today. What did he do? He took the negative and he was able to go off with himself and turn it into positive. 
Because there's so many things we say to ourselves. Many of them are things that other people have said to us. Maybe our parents, maybe people in our past, you know, who have, who have labeled us in certain directions. And sometimes you just got to go have a little talk with yourself. I, I, I caught myself a few years ago. Something that just was a constant self-talk in my mind. It was, um, you, you're just too busy. You're just way too busy. I approached every day that way. Just too busy, too much going on. And, and so I, I did everything I was supposed to do, but I was actually sort of miserable doing it, you know? You're just too busy, buddy. Too busy, too busy. I, I find a lot of us say those kind of things. We're just too busy. And finally, I took myself to the side and had a little talk to myself. I said, you know what, buddy? The truth is you are busy. That's the way you've always lived your life. That's who you are. It's okay to be busy. Enjoy being busy. And you know, honestly, that just little self-talk really changed my mental image and picture and helped me deal with life better. And I wonder, as you've been thinking about what you're thinking about, what are some of those things you've been saying to yourself that are beginning to just, maybe not knock you out, but are beginning to downgrade your life? You see, we got to talk today about how we talk to ourselves. Now, here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about Four legs of a godly self-image. How do you, how do you build a godly self-image? The psychologists tell us that a godly self-image is built on four legs. It, it, it's like a stool. And you need all four of these to be able to feel good about yourself and to love yourself and be able to love somebody else. Now, what are the four stools? Let me just go ahead and tell you what they are. The first one is, is worthiness, okay? Am I a worthy person? The second one is empowerment. You know what I mean? Do I have the ability to change? The third is significance. Is there anything about my life that's going to make a difference? And the fourth is security. Am I secure in love? Now, here's the deal with this stool. If one of these legs is missing, of those four I just mentioned, we're going to talk about them in depth in just a second. If one of them is missing, your life is shaky. And you go through life with this, this picture you're not showing anybody else, but it's affecting the way you treat everybody else. And it's affecting your joy in life. And so we've got to work on these things. Worthiness, empowerment, significance, and security. And that's why I had Will read Romans chapter 8. That's one of the great chapters of all the Bible. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us the foundation of all four of those legs. That's a great, great chapter. Now, here's what what intrigues me about Romans chapter 8. Is that Romans chapter 8 follows Romans chapter 7, where if anybody ever is doing some negative self-talk, it's the Apostle Paul. I mean, if you flip to Romans chapter 7, Paul's saying some things about himself. He says, I'm an unspiritual person. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I end up doing. I have the desire to do good, but I can't carry it out. Anybody ever talk that way to yourself? I'd really like to be this way, but every time I try, I do the very opposite. And when I try to stop this, again, I do the opposite. And finally, Paul says in this negative self-talk in Romans chapter 7, what a wretched man I am. Talking about a pretty bad self-image. That's why I love when we get to Romans chapter 8. Because there's an incredible turning point here where Paul begins to describe what happens when you become a part of Jesus. So let's talk about these four things. Number one, I am worthy. And and, and that's from the very first verse of the chapter. In fact, read this out loud with me. 
Because I want you to memorize these, all right? So you may as well go ahead and start, all right? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the mind can be a very cruel, dark place. And for some reason, many of us, we battle in our mind. And we battle with thoughts of shame and unworthiness. And it plagues us. And Paul says here, in Jesus, there's no condemnation. Now, Paul didn't say you're sinless. Paul didn't say you're perfect. Paul didn't say you've got it all together. But he did say if you're in Jesus, there's no condemnation. Now, how can Paul say this? Because Paul is talking about the new age of God's grace. He says in the next couple of verses, if we read those, that many of us have felt condemned by the law of sin and death. Guys, what a legal system, what a law would do for us, what simply having the Ten Commandments and saying, go perform would do for you, is it would just leave you defeated. Because nobody could keep it. And so the law was a law of sin and death. It was a condemnation. You always felt like you didn't measure up, you didn't do good enough, you didn't obey well enough. Now in Jesus is now this new system of grace where you are worthy not because of your performance, but you are worthy because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And so now Paul can say, no, you're not perfect. You don't have it all together, but you're not condemned. You are worthy. You are worth something. Many of us battle with even wanting to live because we really don't think we're worth anything. And what Jesus does on the cross says, you are worth everything. How do you determine what something's worth? What will someone pay for it? What are you worth? You are worth the life of the very Son of God. Then a lot of times this negative self-talk comes because what lots of people say to us, but here's what I want you to be able to say back, is my worth cannot be changed by your opinion of me. I am secure in Jesus. And whether you like me or approve of me or not, see a lot of us go through life, man, with this mental chatter because we're, we're like a bouncing ball according to the opinions of somebody else. And let me tell you this morning, the only opinion that really counts is God's. And God's opinion of you, if you are in Christ Jesus, is there's no condemnation. So that's leg number one. Leg number two is the idea that I can change. I can change. And wow, does this passage prove that. Read Romans 8, verse 11 with me. The Spirit of God. Okay, you guys are not going to do good on your memory verses because you're pitiful right now, all right? Not trying to give you some negative self-talk, but you need to do better. All right, let's go. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Wow. Because part of our our negative self-talk, at least mine is, is you can't change. You've tried before. You know why I preach a message series like this? (laughs) <laughs> this is sort of selfish. It's because I need it. All right? And I'm thinking, 
I'm hoping five, five weeks of this and a lot of practice and a lot of application that, that my thinking's going to get better. But let me tell you the negative self-talk I've dealt with the last three weeks. You can't change. You've preached lots of sermon series that had not changed you. I mean, you hope to, you'd like to, but the way you think has just been the way you think. And it's just going to sort of stay there. And so Satan plays those over and over again. And that's why we need to memorize this kind of verse. Is here's what the Bible says. The Bible says you can change. How can you change? Not by yourself. You can change because the very power that did the most amazing thing in history, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is available to change you. This is not simply Paul talking about your future resurrection. He is talking about your present reality. You're empowered to change. That's our second leg. Let's go to leg number three. Leg number three is my life counts. My life counts. Oh, this is one of our, our favorite passages. You could probably quote this with your eyes closed. But read it out loud with me. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It's a great verse in his pact. We know. What's Paul saying? Here's something we know. What's Paul saying? Here's truth. Because what we're battling is lies. And probably honestly, what we're battling more than anything is we're battling half-truths. See, that, that, that's Satan's greatest ploy. He doesn't just stick an outright lie in there that you know is not true. He sticks something that has a little truth in it. Buddy, do you have difficulty changing sometimes? Do most people have a difficulty changing? Yeah. Yeah. Change is not easy. Anybody believes it is? Probably, you know, smoking something, right? Change is not easy. All right? But Satan takes that truth and he turns it into a lie that says... You can't change. And and that's why Paul says here, here's some things we know. And and we know in all things. Did you pay attention to that? In all things. In everything. In everything. In all things, God works together for those who love him. He works together for good. Again, he didn't say that everything that happens in your life is good. He didn't say everything is wonderful. He didn't even say everything that happens in your life is God's will. But what he did say is we serve a God that is so powerful that he can take the good, the bad, the in-between, the beautiful, the ugly, and he can work it out for your good and for the betterment of his kingdom. You know what Romans 8, 28 says to me is I'm in a win-win situation. If I lose, I win. If I win, I win. Why? Because because God can take either. He's so powerful, so awesome, so loving. He can take the loss. He can take the win. He can take the victory. He can take the failure. And he can bring it together. If I'm loving him, if I'm walking in that loving relationship with him, he can bring it together and make something really good happen in my life. You see, guys, a majority of many of our self-talk is about our past. We just constantly are reminded of all of our failures. And everything we've done wrong, it's just a constant self-talk. 
And Paul says, okay, I understand that. But here's, here's, here's what I want to add to that conversation in your mind. The conversation is, yeah, you did some bad things. Yeah, you've been a failure. You don't have to act a certain way, you know. You don't have to lie to yourself about your past. But here's what I do want you to know. We do know this. That we serve a God who's powerful enough to take all of that and turn it into something really wonderful. In fact, I'll tell you. There's a great likelihood that God will use the negative parts of your past even more than he'll use the positive parts of your past. A few years ago, I was meeting with a bunch of ministers, so I decided to, to take a survey. I just asked them to all write it down. What has happened in your life that most equipped you for ministry? And listen, you know, I got very little about schooling, very little about academics, very little about, you, you, you know what it was? It was, you know what, the greatest failures in my life have equipped me for ministry more than anything else. I can now help somebody with their depression because I've been there. I can help somebody who's struggling with getting together because I'm there. I can help someone who's been the partying scene because I used to party. I can help someone who's lost a child because I lost a child. I can help someone whose child have go- children have gone wild because I've been there. But, I mean, it was over and over again. What equipped them, what God used was their past. And so when Satan says, your past discounts you, God says, your past counts. It counts. Why? Because God's got, God's got the big time view. Often, here's the way we are, guys. We're down in a traffic jam. We're in downtown on some one-way streets. And, and all we can see is the traffic in front of us. And life seems like we're just stuck. But God's up in the helicopter and God can see the big picture. And so God's going to direct you through his spirit to take a right and then take a left. And before long, you're on the interstate ramp and everything's clear because he sees the big picture. And right now, maybe you feel stuck. But if you'd claim this verse, you could see the big picture. And though you can't see it right now, God can take whatever's going on in your life. He's going to do something good out of it. And then let's bring us to the fourth part of our stool. Number four, I am loved. Oh, I love verse 39 here. Let's read this one out loud. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us. Did you hear that? There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Listen to me closely. Don't don't misunderstand this. There's nothing you can do that will make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. If there's one constant foundation to your image of yourself, it's got to come from the God who loves you unconditionally. Now God's not going to make you go down the right path. And God's not going to make you be saved. And God's not going to make you stay faithful. He's giving you freedom. But, but listen to me. There's never a moment in your life, no matter how rebellious you've been, how awful you've been, what, that God ever withdraws his love. In fact, I, I love the sign I've had in my office for decades. If you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? It's not God. God is there. He is constantly there. And because of that, I can know, you can know that I am loved. 
So let's, let's review what we've said so far. Here's the four legs of our stool. We need a sense of worthiness. I'm worthy. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. We need a sense of empowerment. How can change? How can I change? Because I've got the same power in me that resurrected Jesus from the dead. My life actually counts. I'm significant. Why? Because God can take everything that's happened in my life, the good and the bad, and He can do something good out of it. And I am secure. I've got security because I know that I'm absolutely loved by God. Because that's the foundation. Here, now look at those things. Those are the things you need to start saying to yourself. You need to say to you what God says to you in His Word. And that's why I want to challenge you today. Let's get real practical as we close out here. I want to challenge you and I to win this mind game. I'm telling you, it is not easy. But guys, we can win it through the power of God. Now, we've told you a lot of things over the last few weeks to do, all right? First thing we started off with was to think about what you think about. Have you noticed some thought patterns that really aren't very good in your life? Things that defeat you and just make your life boring and routine and not full of joy. And and then we said, you know, what you've got to do is is when you have that kind of thought, you've got to to reject it decisively. And and last week we went so far as to give out these rubber bands, all right? How many of you popped your rubber band this week? How many of you finally broke your rubber band this week, all right? Well, we got some extra ones in the foyer, I hope. Okay, because, cause me, was like, because you know, those negative, and here's what I want to challenge you with your rubber band this week. Is when you begin to have that negative self-talk, pop yourself. You know, decisively reject what you're hearing. Maybe there's some truth in it, but it's only halfway true. And you begin to defeat them. That's why I'm challenging you to memorize these four scriptures. Whether you've taken notes or not, on your message outline and your bulletin today, those four passages are written out for you, all right? Because there's nothing more powerful in changing your self-talk than the Word of God. You know what I'm saying? That's why scripture memory is so important. Many of us grew up with a lot of scripture memory. The sad case is that we've lost a lot of that. And this week, just four simple verses I'm asking you to memorize. Here's the truth, guys, about this series. It's not going to do any of us any good if we don't do the practical application. All right? You're going to end up with the same mind game, the torturous, cruel mind game you've been living in for a long time. I've talked enough of you. I know you're going through it, all right? You're going to live in that if you're not willing to to reprogram your mind through Scripture, all right? You say, well, buddy, I've heard all these verses today. I came to church. Guys, that's nice, but we just got to touch on them barely. It's like eating food, you know? If you take food in your mouth and you swallow swallow it whole without chewing it, you know you won't get the nutrition out of it you ought to get out of it? It will be of no benefit to you? Well, you got to chew on it you got to break it down. And guys, that's what Scripture memory is about. Is, yeah, you might have heard this today, but if you just walk out of here and shake my hand and you don't meditate on it, you don't chew on it, you're not going to get out of it what you ought to. It's not going to be able to change your life until the Word of God, as the psalmist said, planted in your heart begins to change you. So I ask you today, are you willing to take that challenge?
and memorize these scriptures. Why? Because here's our our concluding point. The most important picture you have is not of you, it's of God. Because here's the truth, guys, is your self-image is going to be in in large part a reflection of the view that you believe that God has of you. Oh, your your, your self-picture in your mind is extremely important. But the way you change it is by meeting a God who looks at you different than the way you look at you. Now, here's a lot of our problem. A lot of us have a problem because we've not met that God. In fact, many of us hear the exact opposite. You are condemned. You cannot change. Your life doesn't count. And God doesn't love you because of what you've done. We hear the exact opposite. Can can you hold with me just a second here? I want to ask you this. Because this is critical. Can you hear God say to you? Don't think about anybody else for the next couple minutes. You are not condemned, you're forgiven. You don't have to stay where you are, you can change. Your life has significance. It counts, even the worst part of your life can count. And you are unconditionally loved by God. Do you believe that? Can you hear that? Or have you been listening to other voices? Guys, this is really big time. I cannot tell you the number of people I've met with through the years, countless, especially men, who tell me this. I've never heard my father tell me he loved me. I hear that over and over again. Sometimes this is from men 30, 40, 50 years old who are still struggling in life because they never heard their father say he loved them. It impacted them. It hurt them. Their father may have been there, but he couldn't say the words. He couldn't say it. And and whatever, he just couldn't say it. And because you never heard that, it impacted you. I know it because I talk to you. Never heard my father say, I love you. Here's the good news today. You can absolutely hear your heavenly father today telling you that he loves you. There's no question about that one. He loves you. Are you willing to listen to that? Are you willing to let these four phrases, these four legs become a part of that self-talk every day? Or are we just going to walk out of here and keep thinking the same things? Now, let me say this real clearly as we're about to sing. is Guys, these promises are all to people that are in Jesus Christ. If you've not become a Christian, I'm not trying to give you false hope about this. Oh, God loves you. But because your sins have not been taken care of, you are still condemned. 
Oh, God loves you. But you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the problem is you've been trying to change yourself without the help of God. Yes, God loves you, but you don't have the promise that everything's going to work for good. It could work for disaster. So today, maybe you need to become a Christian. Or today, maybe the self-talk has gotten so negative, the clutter has become so cumbersome that you need to confess it today and let us pray for you. Because I know what I'm talking about. This is a very simple message, but I do know to preach this and to walk out of here and think differently is challenging. So maybe today before you get out of here, you need some prayers that you'll be able to listen to the voice of God. If we could help you, why don't you come right now while we stand together and sing.